So let us pray. Let's think about what the Bible tells us about the Israelites. Because in my um, young Christian days, I quite often looked at the Israelites and thought, well, why don't they do what God says? It's so obvious. And yet here we are today, no different really, are we? So let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear what you are saying to us today, that we would listen and understand. And we do thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us to understand. And we pray for that understanding now, Lord. So be with us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so once again, um, we will continue today with our thematic study of the book of James. Just to recap, we've covered the themes of um, perseverance and suffering during trials, and we've looked at wisdom and impartiality. And today we continue with the theme of responding to God's word, not just listening to it, but listening and understanding and then doing God's word. And um, I say now, perhaps I should have started my talks with this theme because the whole idea of the letter of James was to encourage believers to be doers of God's word and not hearers only. I have mentioned that, of course, in my previous talks, along with the fact that the teaching of James gives very practical instruction to believers on how to be obedient to God's word, apply God's word to our lives, and become more Christ-like. So, responding to God's word. Um, In my um, analysis of James, we've got two passages of scripture. There could be more. Um, A lot of these themes can be sort of interchangeable, and you'll see some of that today. But um, the first passage is James 1, and we're going to read from 17 to 25. James 1, 17 to 25. And there's a memory test in this, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. James 1.17 then. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." Now, if you have a good memory, a really good memory, two months ago, when we considered um, perseverance and suffering 
under trials, we looked at verses 17 to 20. So they might sound vaguely familiar. Um, I hope you've been looking at James anyway, apart from my talks. The reason for including these verses, um, again, is because they mention in verse 18 the word of truth, which is God's word and which we will be concentrating on shortly. But i just now like to recap on um, verses 17 to 20 in the light of what follows, in other words, in the light of verses 21 to 25, rather than in what precedes, which talked about the trials. Okay, so you can see the themes can be interchangeable, and it's where to choose the cut-off point, I guess. So, what follows is our theme for today of responding to God's word. But firstly, let's look at verse 17. This reminds us, first of all, that God is good, and everything that comes from God is good that he's the creator of the universe and that he's unchangeable. We've already sung that today. Um, He doesn't change like the shadows. For I am the Lord, I do not change, it says in Malachi 3.6. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews 13.8 in your mind, I think this is quite important for what I'm going to say, keep in your mind that the Jesus we see revealed in the New Testament is the same Jesus, the second person of our triune God, who was with the Father and the Spirit in the beginning. John says in John 1, 1 and 2, you don't need to turn to this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm sure you know this by heart. He was in the beginning with God. Now, in James 1.18, coming back to James, verse 18 reveals God's plan for salvation and shows us his love, his mercy and his grace. It says, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's referring to the good news of Jesus Christ and the promise of regeneration, being born again into a new life as we repent and trust and obey God and his commands. Also in that verse, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's the second part of God's plan for salvation. We are saved to serve, to serve the body of Christ, and to serve Christ, that we may bring glory to him. We sang this morning, to God be the glory, didn't we? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, For you were bought at a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Uh, Verses 19 to 20 of James 1 provide good practical advice when suffering under trials, but are completely relevant for a believer responding positively to God's word. Indeed, these verses could also have been included in my theme for wisdom. Verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, could also mean be seen sorry, as the third part of God's plan for salvation. Christ is our righteousness. We are called to live a righteous life under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, allowing his power to work in and through us. Now, before we look at James 1, 21 to 25 and being doers of the word, 
I thought it might be helpful to remind ourselves briefly what is God's word. And my aim here is to make a few observations which will hopefully make us more serious about the Bible and more importantly, more serious about obeying what it says. So, and this is very elementary, so forgive me, but um, I felt that this was useful. The Bible is obviously God's way of revealing himself to us. We can see God in creation. And we see from Psalm 19, verse 1, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. However, the written word, if we read and read it and believe it, will enable us to know much more about God. James says in his letter, um, chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, I picked out this little tidbit of information, um, but this is something that you could remember and uh, teach your children and grandchildren. During the British coronation ceremony, what's one of those, we ask? We haven't had one for 60-odd years, have we? A Bible was traditionally presented to the monarch with these words. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Now, I wonder if this tradition, you might wonder too, will continue with the next coronation, as we have a so-called defender of faiths, with uh, faiths being in the plural. Anyway, these are the lively oracles of God. So let's start at the beginning. I want to think about the Ten Commandments at the moment, given to Moses um, by God in Exodus 20. Uh, you can, uh, I'll give you these verses if you want to follow it. If we sort of start at Exodus 24, 12, we read a little later on about the Ten Commandments. 24, 12, this is of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So here we see that God himself had written the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And that's confirmed in Exodus 31, verse 18. It says that they are written with the finger of God. Verse 32, sorry, chapter 32, 16, confirms that. It says again, now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And just think about that. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and nights and then he comes down with these two tablets. And what does he do? What is he thinking of when he sees the Israelites worshipping the golden calf? Exodus 32:19. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets of stone out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now, what followed, of course, for the nation was a certain amount of punishment, which we won't go into. A certain amount of forgiveness took place. 
And the Lord eventually told Moses to cut two more stone tablets like the first. And God wrote the words again on the second set of tablets. You can read that in Exodus 34:28. Now, although the account of the Ten Commandments is recorded in Scripture, because we read, perhaps this is, that they were written by the finger of God, we may find them more convincing or easier to believe as God's word than some other parts of the Scriptures. So let's now look at um, the New Testament and see what the Bible has to say about itself. You might like to turn to these verses. If you don't know them by heart, you should really. They're wonderful verses for witnessing to people. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we look at the Bible as a whole, all 66 books, we see a collection of prophets, poets, historians, apostles, followers of Jesus, a mixed bag of authors, all writing about the Godhead or pointing to the Godhead. A thought for these 66 different books being brought together as one, preserved for thousands of years for men to read and follow. We cannot explain it other than say it is miraculous. When we look at each individual book and see its wisdom and truth and the revealing of God, it can only be by God's spirit directing its author. If we therefore believe that all scripture is God-inspired, we need to be wary of having favourite authors or books. There's something to be learned from every book of the Bible, even Leviticus, I believe. (laughs) Um, Being particularly drawn to, say, Paul's writings may bring us to a place of familiarity where we may perceive that the apostle is speaking to us rather than God speaking through the apostle Paul to us. So it brings me back to the point I made concerning the Ten Commandments and the finger of God. We need to discern the finger of God in all the scriptures. Now, another observation concerning the word of the Lord is that we fully appreciate what is meant by hearing, listening and receiving the word. And probably the best illustration is Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower, which is found in Matthew 13, 18 to 23. You might want to turn to that. I'm just going to skip through, summarise what happens, but it's Matthew 13, 18 to 23. So the seed we're talking about is the word of God. And some seed fell by the wayside and the birds ate it up. Jesus says, this is he who hears the word of God, but does not understand it. He has not allowed the word to really penetrate his heart and mind or if you like, his whole being. Some seed fell on stony places, and for lack of earth, once it had sprouted, it was scorched by the sun because it had no root. This person immediately receives God's word with joy, 
yet still has no root in himself. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Some seed fell among thorns which choked the word. This is the one who receives the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The seed that fell on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and produces fruit. So in the first three scenarios, we could say that these types all heard the word and received it to an extent, but did not fully understand it. And another scripture sprang to my mind here, um, which is a bit disjointed, if you like, but I think this is crucial to our being doers of God's word. And that's taking up our cross daily. In fact, there's two scriptures. I'll give you the other one in a minute. But um, this appears, I think, in probably three of the four Gospels, if not all. But Matthew 16, 24, 25 gives us the words. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's listening to the word. And there's another scripture, um, Galatians 2.20, written by Paul, of course. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, Crucifying ourselves each day is um, a very important thing. Um, Taking up our crosses daily um, to be doers of God's word. Now, in reality, we can hear the word, but as humans, we may even blot out our own understanding. Because, for example, it it could present um, a challenge that we feel that we cannot meet, or perhaps requires a sacrifice that we cannot make at this particular time. To conclude the parable of the sower and the person bearing much fruit, this is the one who has ears to hear, that is a teachable spirit and a receptive heart. So, that's the background, if you like, to being doers of the word. Let's look at James 1. 21 to 25 now. So I think it's worth reading these verses again. James 1, back to James 1, 21 to 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed 
in what he does. Now in verse 21, James exhorts his readers to lay aside or get rid of all filthiness and wickedness so that they can receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And this filthiness and wickedness is the sin and self that I alluded to earlier, shutting out what we hear sometimes purposely. We sometimes hold on to um, things that um, we feel are precious to us, but perhaps they're not, and they prevent us from receiving and understanding God's word. Being crucified with Christ, that's what I meant by that. Now, interestingly, the word used for filthiness has links to a medical term meaning waxing the ear. When a person has wax in the ear, they can be hard of hearing or even deaf, unable to hear God's word. Meekness here in this verse does not mean weakness, but denotes a strong person being humble and submissive rather than haughty, proud and rebellious. And again, we could add a teachable spirit, having a teachable spirit. The implanted word is similar to the word of truth used in verse 18. And we looked at the parable of the sower, you remember. It is a word that will root itself like a seed in the heart. God sows his truth into the hearts of men and women who have ears to hear or teachable spirits. And this word is able to save our souls. Just like verse 18 This speaks of the good news of Jesus, regeneration and new life. And the word is even more powerful than that. Um, Don't bother to turn to this, it's a very short verse. John 17, 17. When um, Jesus prays for his disciples, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we are set apart, we are sanctified for God set apart for him and his purposes alone. Every believer should do only God's will and be obedient to God's commands. And this is only possible, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day to fulfil the exaltation of verse 22, to be doers of God's word and free from self-deceit. It's not enough to merely listen to God's word or to merely read God's word. We need to put it into practice. We need to do what we profess to believe. When I gave my first talk um, an introduction to the book of James, I compared its practicality to Jesus' teaching about the wise and the foolish builders. And it will do no harm to look at the, um, the words of Jesus in the passage from Matthew 7 now. Matthew seven twenty four to 27, might like to follow this as I read it. Very familiar again, but um, do we really hear what Jesus is saying to us? Matthew seven twenty four to 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If we heard God's truth, if we have heard God's truth, we have a responsibility to combine doing with hearing. It's the command of Jesus to be doers, not just listening to it, but doing it. Indeed, our responsibility before God is greater than those who have never heard. Uh, Moving on to verses 23 and 24, um, James in these verses, we're back in James again, I should say, Um, James in these verses uh, compares or likens a person who hears God's word but does not do God's word as one who looks at himself in a mirror. He sees his imperfections and then goes away and forgets all about the imperfections that he saw. He does nothing. Now a mirror in those days I've read would have been made of polished metal. A metal itself may have had its own imperfections, which reflected on anyone looking at the mirror. Modern mirrors obviously would reflect a true image, unless you're in an arcade, you know, one of these um, amusement arcades where you've got the distorting mirrors. Anyway, (laughs) now the mirror that we're talking about here, of course, is God's word, isn't it? It's saying if we look into God's word, and don't do what it says. So, um, do we see the faults in ourselves when we look at God's word and turn away and do nothing about it? Just looking at today's talk so far from verse 19. Do I realise that I am slow to hear and swift to speak, for example? Am I quick to lose my temper and display wrath? Think of my previous talks on James and some of the practical things that he told us to do. Do I lack wisdom? And am I asking God to grant me wisdom? Or am I not? Am I asking for something in faith? Or do I doubt? Am I double-minded, seeking the best of the kingdom of God, but also looking for what the world offers? And we can go on. But the question is, are we obedient to God's word? Are we doers of his word? So in verse 25, James describes those who look into God's word and continue in it and do not forget it, but do it. They will be blessed in what they do. And here um, James describes God's word as the perfect law of liberty. Unfortunately, the mention of the word law is another thing which upset Martin Luther, apparently. And he said of James, James drives us to law and works. However, I think James is not referring merely to Old Testament law, nor Mosaic law, which was perverted, of course, into a legalistic system for earning salvation by good works. In the perfect law that James has in mind, it's the sum total of God's revealed truth. That would consist of the ethical law in the Ten Commandments, and that's why I started off with them, combined with the teaching of Jesus 
and his apostles after him. It's perfect because it's God's law and cannot be bettered. It's perfect in the sense that if a person obeys it, they will realise their God-given destiny. It's also the law of liberty. As long as man obeys his own passions, emotions and desires, he is nothing less than a slave. A slave to self, sin and possibly Satan. When we turn to Christ, repent of our sins, put our trust in him and his word, submit to the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be free. Free to be what we ought to be. Free to serve God and his body. Okay, now our second passage, that's the first passage. The second passage comes from James 5, verses 19 and 20. Just two verses I'm going to look at here. James 5, 19 and 20. Keep in mind we're just not talking about God's word, but we're talking about responding to it. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now it first has to be said that this passage of just two verses has met with different interpretations. And if possible, I'd like to avoid uh, the controversies and attempt to understand the basic teachings of these verses. Even to do this, we have to make some assumptions and also look carefully at some of the words used. That's the Greek words um, from the translation. So, first of all, it seems clear from the word brethren um, in verse 19 that James is addressing believers. It also seems reasonable that any one of those believers may wander from the truth. And further, this um, supposed wanderer is in verse 20, referred to as a sinner. Now, the Greek word used here for sinner is the same word that we can find in two other places, at least. I've just given you two examples here. One's from Luke 7, and... um, It's when Jesus is in Galilee, a woman who was a sinner, described in verses 37 and 39 of chapter 7, Luke, washed Jesus' feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. The sinner was described as a prostitute. Another example is uh, Luke 19 and that's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a dishonest tax collector who falsely extracted taxes from his own people. He is named as a sinner. By using the same word here in James 5, James is saying that no doubt believers can and do sin. In fact, John spells this out in his first letter. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Again, I think these are verses that you probably know by heart. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now it has to be said here that John is not expecting believers to be continual, habitual sinners. He does expect sinners to have, uh, sorry, believers to have failings and sin occasionally. 
Sin can, can and should be conquered through the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn to me, please, uh, with me in uh, to Romans 12, 14, 12 to 14, sorry, Romans 6, 12 to 14. I'll get it out in a minute. Look at this one together. It's good to read this. Romans 6, 12 to 14. So I've said sin can and should be conquered through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the Romans, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Isn't that what we are? And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, going back to James 5 and verse 20, we're still making these assumptions, by the way, about this, how to interpret this passage. Um, the phrase, will save a soul from death, infers from the Greek used, that we're t- from the Greek used here, that it's spiritual death in view. Not physical death, spiritual death. So now we can put the two phrases together from verse nine. Uh, yes, from verse nineteen. Sorry, um, wandering from the truth, and the phrase from verse twenty, error of his way. They both appear to mean a person turning away from the faith and living their lives contrary to biblical principles. This then is the seriousness of the case. And he who turns a sinner from this potentially disastrous situation will help in covering a multitude of sins. And Daniel has a wonderfully poetic way of expressing this. Daniel 12 verse 3. If you want to turn there, it's only a short verse, but it's a beautiful verse. Daniel 12 verse 3 says... Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So to conclude, a reminder that our theme was responding to God's word. God's word is not merely something that we listen to, something that we read, something that we think about, but it's something that we do. Are we doers of God's word and not just hearers? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your finished work upon the cross. We thank you that that work has brought us together today, Lord. We thank you that we have heard from you, that you have revealed yourselves yourself to us. We do pray, Lord, that we would um, continue in that um, search to know and to do your word. We do pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would anoint us all, strengthen us all, Lord. That you would fill us with your spirit afresh and help us to really listen and understand and hear what you are saying to us through your word. We do thank you that your spirit makes your word living and active. And Lord, we do pray that we will certainly be active in doing your word. And we ask this for your glory's sake.
Amen.